Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Isn't that place beautiful? I mean, you see that scenery. So I want to do this on this Memorial Day weekend. I want to invite everybody in a couple of weeks to come hang out with us June 15th. You don't have to be a father. You don't have to have a father in order to come. We're actually inviting the whole church to be a part of it this that Saturday. And so come hang out with us. The registration's on our event page at Luminous Church. It's a $5 admission fee per person which covers your emissions and your drinks. And so you can bring a sack lunch, you can bring your own meats, you can, you can do all that. It's going to be awesome. So also, I just want to say, um, man, happy Memorial Day weekend. Come on. Come on. It's awesome. You know, it's, it's something that we shouldn't uh, uh, take lightly or take advantage of, although it's kind of light in here, right? So it's like, where is everybody? They're on the lake, and you came here because you are holy. So praise God. And uh, we're so glad that you came. Uh, this morning to be with us, but I, I, I'm just thankful for the intentionality of weekends like this, uh, uh, moments like this when we, are, we intentionally celebrate the freedom that we have as a nation, and we know that freedom is not free, right? So obviously there are people who laid down their life in order to be free in this country, in order to bring us liberation from an oppressor. You see, we were oppressed, and now we're liberated, and that freedom is not to be taken lightly. In fact, anytime oppression comes, there needs to be a level of liberation, and I'm thankful that we have it in this nation, and if you serve in, in the armed forces or have served, we're so thankful for you, and so, um, so amazing uh, to be a part of this life with you and to celebrate this weekend with you, but I also am excited because Wherever there is oppression, you need liberation. And I know that us as Christians, we were oppressed by the enemy. And the enemy oppressed us from having the freedom of our identity and knowing who we are in Christ fully. And as a result, Jesus came and he liberated us. And so today, we get to celebrate liberation as a people in our nation and liberation in our spirit of being born again and made right with him and free. Can we give God a big hand for both of those? If you have your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Titus chapter 1. And we're actually beginning a series today that will take a pause and start back up in July where we'll finish the book of Titus. And so... Uh, we'll do Titus 1 today, and then we'll talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit over the next couple of weeks, and then we'll do a series on every nation and who is this network of churches that we're a part of and why it matters to us and, and, and how you can fit into that and where your place is and how Jesus wants to make a difference through you in this movement. It's going to be incredible. And then we'll pick back up in Titus uh, with Alyssa Gilbert preaching Titus chapter 2 and then Titus chapter 3. So it's going to be an awesome summer. We're so excited for it. 
The, the book of Titus is uh, written by Paul, and this may be when Paul was released from prison the first time when he went to Crete, and there he begins to establish uh, the church and, and what God is doing, and it's broken in three parts. You have one, two, and three chapters. The first part is zealous for good works in the church, zealous for good works in the church. The second part, or second chapter, is zealous for good works in the home, and then the third part is zealous for good works in the world. I, I think that's so appropriate that we would be talking about how God cares about his church, the bride of Christ, how he cares about your home, your family, and how he cares about the world. So we're going to find out through this book some amazing things that we can digest this morning. Now, I had to put a framework around this because I just said good works. And a lot of you grew up in church where you didn't want any works. In fact, it was all works, right? It was all works. It was all a checklist. It was do's and don'ts. It was you have to wear this, no makeup. Um, it was et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you felt like you were living under a, a, a set of rules or law or legalism. Maybe you've heard that term where, where it feels like everything's so legalistic, I have to behave a certain way. And so I, I just want to free you up from that because, um, because we, we are talking about good works. But I want to paint the picture under, under what framework. So Titus 2.11 kind of describes this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people. As Paul is writing to Titus, this young um, uh, pastor, this apostolic delegate, if you will, um, See, Paul was an apostle. He sent Titus to go establish churches in Crete. He was an apostolic delegate to go do that. And as he was writing to him, he was writing to the understanding that this is the church. These are believers. These are those who've already accepted the gospel message. So I thought it would be appropriate today on Memorial Day weekend that, that we could just talk to, them, to the believers this morning, knowing that most people in here probably have professed Christ. Now, if you haven't this morning, that's okay. I think you're going to understand a lot of, uh, of our church governance and how we function and operate. So I think that's going to be helpful for you. But for most of you in here, this is going to be very applicable so works and faith, uh, it, it's, a, it's a silver lining. Uh, faith without works is dead. That's what James would say. So obviously there's some works taking place, but, but works is not what saves you. Works is not what saves you. Uh, now, some different religions, some different groups of Christendom uh, may say this differently. They, they, like the Catholic Church, they believe that it is, it is faith and works that leads to salvation. So it's both. But Protestantism believes that salvation is by grace alone, not by works, so that no man may boast that he earned it or got it or deserved it. It was a free gift given to man. And that's good to know. And that's where we stand as a church. We stand that, that salvation is grace and grace alone. But then why so much on this idea of works? Why are we talking about good works? I think a helpful analogy would be this, is uh, we all have a last name. We were all born into a family, right? And, and so on the count of three, I want you to yell your last name. One, two, three. Chapman. Praise God. Man, that was powerful. That was the loudest you've been all morning, you know? 
That, that's, that's beautiful. You said that, most of you said that with some confidence because you know it, right? Because you were born into it. You see, you were born into your last name. It is who you are. You were born into a family. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. It was given to you on a birth certificate. It was given to you, and, and there was nothing that you had to do. In fact, you didn't have to earn your way to keep being a Chapman or a Fontenot or a Rao or, or whatever it may be. You didn't have to earn your way to keep doing that and to keep that name. You just have it. Likewise, when you were born again in Christ Jesus, you were made new, a new creation, a new family, and you were adopted, and you just keep it. It's just what you are. But the byproduct of a name is oftentimes work. It is work, is serving, is playing your part, is doing what a family does. You see, I see the characteristics of my dad and how he is and how the family functions. And as a result, I'm not trying to keep my last name. I just want to help. I just want to be a part of it. I just want to I just want to do what my family does. I want to be a part of what what is happening. And, and it's same with Christ is those who are saved and in Christ, they move into this place of of I want to serve. I want to serve the church. I want, I want to serve kids. I want, I want to serve there. I want to serve my family. I, I want to serve in my workplace. I, I've come to serve and not be served. Not because I'm trying to earn, but because of who I am. Does that make sense? So it's a, it's a slight difference, but it helps us with a great framework right here so that we can begin to digest this verse. Ephesians 1-2 says in the Amplified Version, May grace, God's unmerited favor and spiritual peace, which means peace with God and harmony, unity and undisturbedness, be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. With grace, unmerited favor. That's a beautiful thing, and it's what we, what we operate in. And the more you own that, the more your identity is solidified. The more you own the fact that I didn't earn this, it was given to me, the more willing you are to be used, be included by God. Acts 14, 23, we're, we're talking today about just the quality of elders. And so elders are put in the church as the governance, the governing of the church or God's body, Jesus's body. You see, Jesus, when he left, he was king and he ruled. And when he left, he put overseers or elders in charge of the body in charge of the church his bride so that they can keep moving on and pressing on to move into godliness to move into who god has called them to be that's what an overseer does so in acts 14 23 when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the lord in whom they had believed in acts 14 23 they they prayed they fasted, and they pointed elders in the region that they were in. You see, it's good that, that, that Titus was going throughout Crete and that he wasn't being the man or, or the mega pastor of every church that was there. How I many you know that was probably a good thing? Because he didn't know anything about them, really. I mean, he didn't know much about them. And, 
It's like, it's like, you know, when you go on vacation. You go to the timeshare, you stay in the all-inclusive, you know, whether it's Mexico or a Caribbean island, you don't really know the culture, right? You're just enjoying the amenities. And so you're enjoying the beach and the water and the food, and this is awesome, but you don't really understand the people. However, if you actually live in a place and you grew up there, you have a heart for the people that you're around. You know so-and-so on that corner. You see the brokenness in your city. You see where the gospel still needs to light and be illuminated in the city. You see what God has been doing in the city and how, how many people have gotten saved and lives have been transformed. You know the city. It's important to have an indigenous people be in leadership. How many of you know that's a good idea? That's a God idea to know the people and have a heartbeat for it. So this morning at the end of service, we have an elder candidate and we're going to bring them up on stage and they're going to be presented to you. And as we talk about the qualities of an elder, you're going to over the next four weeks be able to examine them and examine whether or not they are qualified with this list to be an elder. Now, I'm going to note this right now. It's not a cross-examination, right? So you're not, you're not going up to them and saying, hey, hey, um, you know, asking them questions or, 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 hey, remember that one time when you did that one thing, you know? You're not doing that. You're submitting all that to Ben at LuminousChurch.org, praise God, or you're approaching me. And, and we're looking at their qualifications. And so I'm so excited to announce that. Austin Fontenot, our campus director, and Victoria Fontenot are, are our elder candidates that we're going to bring up after service. So that's awesome. Can we give them a hand? And I'm so thankful for Victoria Fontenot because she is Miss San Antonio. I mean, if you see this woman, she was leading worship today. I mean, you just look at that skirt. You're like, man, that's San Antonio right there. Like... It is crazy. She's indigenous. I think she was born here and raised here and her family for like five generations or something. I think, I think they fought in the Alamo. Seriously. I mean, it's crazy. Look it up. Uh, it could be true. So they know this land. They know this city. They know the heartbeat of the people here. And, and they also are amazing at overseeing. And, and I feel like really lean themselves to what Titus uh, what, what it says in Titus, as Paul described. And so in verse 1, let's, let's start with Paul's greeting. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I love this greeting. Every time Paul writes a letter, he, he writes a greeting. It's, uh, it's good to do. Uh, just take notes, right? If you're writing a greeting, a letter to anybody, do a greeting. Introduce yourself. But what I love right here. And what I think I really want to hone in on this morning is the fact that, that Paul is this Jewish man, Jewish descent. He, he is circumcised on the eighth day. He is the perfect Jew. And it is, it is um, 
faux pas for a Jewish man to interact with a Gentile like Titus. It would be faux pas for him to do that. In fact, they should not cross-pollinate. They should actually not be friends. And yet, Paul writes in this moment, to my child, Titus. He moved to a place past friendship into this spiritual family place. And I want to just take note of this, that the gospel will constantly and consistently bring a bridge where there is divide. Where there's divide between ethnic groups, where there's divide between socioeconomical groups, where there's a divide, wherever it is, the gospel brings everybody in to unity. And this is what the gospel has done for Paul and Titus in this moment. And this is beautiful, church. This is amazing. This is why I want to present an encouragement to you. That every time you walk through these doors, you're looking at people who don't look like you. Every time you walk through these doors, there there are people from different race, from different demographics. Uh, There there are elderly and there are young. And there are people who, who in your stereotype of society would say, I can't be your friend. I can't be your friend. Oh, I can't. I don't want to talk to that person. I'm going through this door and not that door because that door, I, I, I don't think I can associate with the usher at that door. So I'm going to go through this door and see if they look like me. And I want to encourage you, only on Memorial Day, not when guests are here, because, you know, you don't do this with guests, you know. You, don't, you aren't so frank. <laughs> but I want to encourage you that we have to move to a place like Paul and Titus. We have to move to a place when we see somebody who doesn't look like us, we will be the first one to extend a hand. We have to be a people. Luminous. We have to be a people who, who hug one another, who ask about each other's life, who doesn't avoid the elderly and doesn't avoid the young, who doesn't avoid the black and doesn't avoid the white, doesn't avoid the brown or the Asian, doesn't avoid. It's constantly reaching out a hand and saying, hey, I am so glad you're here. And today you are family. Today you're a family because you are in Christ Jesus. This has bonded us, and, and we have that in common. The greatest divide in our city, if we were to identify it, would be north and south, or rich and poor. That's the greatest divide in our city. If you're wondering what it is, it's that. And I'm telling you, if we got to be a church that sees Jesus as the sinner, we have to look at people not, not at the, their, their clothing. Hey, what, what, what are you wearing today? Oh, whoo, man, look at what he's wearing. Look at what they're wearing. Look at those shoes. Oh, man, that hair, man, that hair hasn't been cut in a minute. Right? No, no, no. It's like, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm not seeing you for the outward, but I'm seeing you for the inward. I'm seeing you for who Christ made you to be and who Christ made me to be. And together, we're family. Together, it's beautiful, and I just think that that's the most, just a great greeting as we start this chapter. In verse 5, we read about the qualifications for elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, verse 7, as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered 
or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And so here's the qualifications of an elder, and everybody in here is like, I'm not an elder. Why do I care? What's the point of this? An elder interchangeable with pastor or overseer oftentimes throughout the New Testament. I want to tell every man here that you are a pastor. And you are a pastor of your household and a pastor of what you steward. You are a pastor. You know, I, I grew up in the church where there was a bunch of women who wanted to marry a pastor. You know, they, they all want to marry a pastor. Man, I just got to find a pastor. I got to find a pastor. All of a sudden, somebody preaches well. They're like, oh, I'm marrying him. You know, and, <laughs> you know, they're, they're printing out posters, putting them in the room. It's just got really weird. And, and they really want to really marry a pastor. And, and I think they like the whole idea, you know, that they look good up on stage in the spotlight until, you know, they start to ball prematurely. And, and uh, you know, all that stuff. But <clears throat> then there's this other group of women who don't want to marry a pastor. I'm not marrying a pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor's wife, you know? Pastor's wife, everybody looks at the pastor's wife. You got dressed all nice. They're always judging them, you know? Oh, man, oh, four sandals today. They're gonna, what are they going to think about me? I wore my T-shirt, you know? I was serving the kids, all right? Don't tell anybody I was serving the kids. Can I just announce it? Hey, I was serving the kids. This is why I'm dressed like this, you know? So you have to constantly explain yourself. I don't want to be a pastor's wife. But I want to encourage every man that you need these qualities that we're about to read. Every man needs these qualities. Every single woman, every woman who is single should start praying for a pastor, should start praying for a husband who has these qualities, who's going to shepherd your household and lead your household and love your kids and love you. You want a man who has these qualities. You want a man who looks like this. And if every man in here needs to aspire to be this, this is so helpful for us. So we read in this moment in 1 Timothy 3.1, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. That you desiring these qualities is noble. That you desiring to do this is a good thing. We should, uh, there, there's many reasons. Not only are there qualifications, but there's many future, future church planners in here, future leaders in here. And so it's something that we aspire to. It's a challenge for us. In verse 6, it says, anyone is who is above reproach. Anyone who is above reproach. I love this. This just means that you're the same out there as you are at home. Integrity. Someone full of integrity, meaning that I'm going to be the same person here as I am at the workplace. And I, it's easy for me. It's easy for Pastor Ben to be the same as I am at church as I am at home because I'm married to Brandy. And if, if I don't act like, you know, a, a, a Christian and have these qualifications, she's going to kill me. So, so <laughs> that's easy. It's easy on, on Sunday morning at Luminous or a connect group or discipleship meeting because it's just a few hours. Right? Like, I can, I, can, I can act good for a few hours. What's hard is 1604 traffic in my car where you tint your windows as dark as you possibly can so no one can see you. And then you don't put any bumper sticker on the back because if they know you go to Luminous Church, they're going to call there. And I can act however I want in the car. However I want. As long as my kids aren't in there. 
funny story is the other day, sorry, David, I just adjusted my mic. The other day, I was driving and <laughs> I was so mad at traffic, you know. So overseers aren't perfect. I just want to let you know that. We're not perfect. There's grace, right? Remember that grace talk we talked about just a second ago? They have grace. So, so there's lots of grace. I was in the car and I was so mad at traffic. And I was like, come on, I hate when people do that. And my son, man, he is like above reproach. He's like, Dad, we can't say hate. I was like, what? Yeah, no, I didn't say hate. I, I said, man, I love, I love with people. <laughs> he calls me out every time in the car. I'm so thankful for it. It's been amazing checks and bounces. I said stupid one time. Can't say stupid. I mean, what can you say, son? Can you give me the new dictionary? Because I don't know what I can say anymore. They, they live above reproach. They're the same on the outside as they are on the inside. The same on the inside as they are on the outside. And I want to encourage you, Luminous, that those who are born again in this house, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, are you the same here as you are in the break room? Are you the same here as you are around the classroom? Are you the same here as you are around your family? Or your friends, are you the same person? Are you living above reproach? Verse 6, the husband of one wife. One wife. This is very confusing. A lot of people debate this. Like, oh, does an elder or an overseer have to be married or not have to be married? And, and, and so what, what is it? What, what does this look like? And, and so I just want to bring some explanation to this. Obviously, an overseer doesn't have to be married. Because Paul is an overseer and Paul is not married. And Paul said it's better not to marry actually because if you're married, you're going to be dual focused. If you're married, you'll be concerned about the ministry and the work of the ministry. But if you abuse that and you work too much or stay at the church too late fixing the camera or whatever it may be. These are not real life examples. <laughs> then, then when you come home to your family, they'll feel neglected. And so, so, so the truth is, is our ministry is to the church and to the family. It's to both for those who are married. But those who are unmarried, their ministry is to the church. And they don't have to worry about this. They don't have to be dual focused. Not that it's bad. It's just different. And so, so, so this is what Paul says in this moment. The, the husband of one wife. So if he were to marry, just marry one woman. And don't marry five. Praise God. Like, that's a weird wedding. Like, I don't know. I don't know where they stand. Like, you know, do you line them up? Do you do one and then another? I don't know how it goes. Maybe somebody else could tell me. But really, the husband or one wife, the Greek means this. The Greek means this. It would be translated as this. A one-woman man. A one-woman man, meaning he is focused on one woman, the woman that he's made covenant with. He's focused on her and not on pornography. He's focused on her and not lustful thinking of somebody else. Focused on her and no other fantasy thinking. He's a one-woman type of man. He is a pure man, pure of thought. He is a one-woman type of man. And for the man who's unmarried, it is you are looking towards Jesus. And I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm going to be a man who follows Jesus and keep my eyes fixed on him. That's what it is saying. You are faithful to your spouse. Verse 6, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. I want to let you know this right now, that you 
cannot regenerate your children. What I mean by that is this theological term that the Holy Spirit regenerates you and you become a new person when you enter into salvation, right? When, when Jesus or the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and you come into relationship and you respond and put faith and trust in him, there's a regeneration process where you become born again. Is it instant? Is it over time? We don't know. It's debated. But I want to let you know you can't regenerate your children. You cannot Talk your kids into salvation. Is the Holy Spirit will be the one who illuminates himself and shows himself and reveals himself. But this isn't saying that your, your children are, are, are going to be born again. It's saying that they're going to be faithful and submissive. They're going to be submissive and believe what you say. They're going to obey. They're going to be obedient and respectful. This is the meaning of this verse. So this is what we look at as an overseer. You see, every family is, is, is like a garden. You see, when God, the Father, made, made family, he put them in a garden, didn't he? He put them in a garden. And, and as a stewardship over this garden, over your kids, uh, the stewardship is how are you working the garden? Because there are going to be thorns and weeds that come into the garden. And the question is, will you be a good gardener? When, when you see something come up, will you pull it? Will, will you start taking care of it? Will you tend to it? And I know some of you look at me like, I don't have a green thumb. Everything I try to grow, I kill. I'm killing my kids. <laughs> you know, some of us think like that. Some of us think like that. But I want to just let you know that if you're going to be a great gardener, anybody can be a great gardener. All they have to do is get around another great gardener you see you start getting around other gardeners hey what kind of soil is this how does it grow hey man how did you do that and you start emulating that you start walking through that hey when do I pull the weeds when do I do this hey how did you raise your kid like that hey I have a question about my children I don't know what to do in this situation I've been trying to navigate you get around other people who've gone before you and they start giving you wisdom and all of a sudden they're dropping wisdom bombs on you and you're like yes Yes, this is how to begin to do it. And this is what God's called us to do because we're tending to gardens that, that won't be choked out, but that will bloom. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or greedy for gain. I don't know if those need explanation because that was pretty simple. Like, don't get drunk. Now, the church for years... I've said, don't drink, because if you drink, you may get drunk, but that's not true, right? Because you can drink and not get drunk. This is saying, don't be a drunkard. Don't be given a wine. Don't run around with your DD to the club, you know, and say, man, I just, whoo, it's all right. I got DD. I'm covered, you know, designated driver. That's what that means. Some of y'all probably need one, but anyway, <laughs> praise God. Just kidding. Not greedy for gain. Not greedy for gain. I want to talk about this because this is just not monetary gain. See, an overseer, it's not just about, about going and chasing the dollar. He's not just saying that, but going and chasing the power. And that's oftentimes what overseers want to do in the church is, just, man, I can't wait to get up on stage and preach. I can't wait to grab a microphone. I can't wait to do that. And, and as we appoint overseers, we're looking for somebody who's humble, who, who has humility. And so this is what that means. Verse 8, but, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
that they would uh, exhibit these things. And in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Rebuke. That's not a fun word, right? Like, who wants to be rebuked? I'm going to tell you, all of us will be rebuked. If you're looking at yourself, man, don't rebuke me, then, then you're just not going to have fun in church because you're going to be rebuked. You'll be challenged. There's things that you move into and you're going to step in and step in the wrong and you're going to need somebody to tap you on the shoulder. Hey, man, it's time to get right. Right? Because we're trying to help each other into godliness. We're trying to help each other and spur each other on so that we can make each other better. So that we're better husbands, better wives, better kids. But more than that, just better as sons and daughters to the Most High God. So that we look more like Jesus. So this is an important factor. So I said somebody, most of you, all of us, <laughs> I just said everything, uh, all of us, we need these qualifications. We should aspire to these qualifications. But the difference is an overseer is one who can teach and has these qualities. There's people who can teach who doesn't have these qualities. We don't want them up here. There's, there's, there's people who have these qualities, but they can't teach. And what I mean by teach is you can take somebody from point A to point B. And when you're discipling, leading a connect group, somebody who doesn't know the gospel, you can present the gospel and lead them to the gospel and show them Jesus and how to follow Jesus and walk in him. That's, that's what I mean where you can teach and do that, that you would be instructive. And not all of us are able to do that, and that's okay. Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There are many forms of the gospel out there. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about Jesus incarnate, God's son incarnate coming in the flesh who lived a perfect life, who died the death that you and I deserved to die. Three days he was buried and he was raised by the power of God to life because he was guiltless and he had the power to conquer sin. And it is an amazing thing. And as a result, we submit our life to him according to the way he has instructed through his word. The gospel. And some people will take the Bible and, and there's lots of, lots of religions that have the Bible. Mormonism has a Bible. The J-Dubs have the Bible. It's a Jehovah Witness. They, they have the Bible. As many religions have the Bible, but they don't hold it up to the final authority. They don't hold it up as this is the authority and let this interpret itself. And so anytime there's something going on in the church, anytime there's something going on, we take the Bible, not my opinion, not what I think. We take the Bible and we say, hey, man, this is what the word says, and it is the final authority over your situation and what's happening. That's what we do. That's where we elevate it, and an overseer is able to do that because there are so many things trying to divide the church, other religions, other, other different uh, organizations, different ideas, and many false beliefs. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate empty talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision party they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach 
I'm so glad we don't live there in Crete. Because you see, you have the Judaizers. These, these, they're going around and they're saying, hey man, if you're really Christ's father, you get circumcised. No, thank you! That's what I'm going to say. If I'm 37. You know, no thank you. I'm not doing that. And then, and then there's a debate that happens and, and I'm so thankful they settled the debate and said, no, it's not about works. It's not about what you do in this outward thing. It's not about if you raise your hands at church, if you kneeled during that moment. It's not about that. It is about transformation of what God has done and pay the price for. It's about his unmerited grace. But there are false beliefs that happen. Here's a few false beliefs for you that we are that come to us in our culture all the time. False belief number one, number one, all your problems are someone else's fault. All your problems are someone else's fault. Uh, number two, this world owes you happiness. You will be happy if you get what you want. There is no reason to feel guilty. Man is good and unselfish, basically. All beliefs are equally valid. Porn and perversion are innocent. You shouldn't have to wait for anything. That answer lies within you. These are false beliefs given in our culture and there are many people who are profiting off these false beliefs there are different things that maybe i i describe this list you're like oh yeah that one right there i've been living my life like that and this is why an overseer is here so he can teach according to sound doctrine of what is true it's, it's like you know the the hollywood diet anybody heard of the hollywood diet you know that bottle that you can buy for like fifty thousand dollars you know that's on the counter and if you drink it, like all of a sudden you'll look like the person on the bottle. You're like, oh, dude, this is awesome. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Nobody taught me out of it. Pastor Austin, don't talk me out of it. I'm doing it. And then I try it, and then it doesn't produce. And then so you keep seeking something for a quick fix like that. It's these false beliefs that we believe. And then all of a sudden you think, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, man, I'm not happy enough. I need to try some more. I need to keep going. And it, it leads you down a, a road that is dark and endless. Ecclesiastes says vanity, vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. It's just leading you to a place of futile living where there's no life produced in it and out of it. So he says we need people to help instruct and teach. In verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts. Lazy gluttons. That prophet is on it. <laughs> this testimony is true, Paul says. He affirms. That, uh, what a harsh statement. He affirms. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. See, work is evidence that you know God, but it's not to be known by him. So you're known by him because you are a son and your daughter, and these works are fruit of that. See, these are great things to aspire to, this overseer, these great qualifications and this morning, I want to bring up um, Pastor Austin and Victoria Fontenot up to the stage. And I, I just want to 
bring them up as candidates. So today, they're, they're candidates, and they're going to be examined, uh, not cross-examined, remember? And, and they're, going to, <clears throat> they're going to be examined, and they're going to be prayed over, and over the next few weeks, if there's something in their life, you know, that maybe doesn't line up with one of these qualifications, I expect you to come talk to me, and we're going to figure out what's going on. We're going to figure out if that's true or if that's, maybe it's just a moment where they just realize in this next four weeks, Man, I did something I just need to repent of, and I need to get right. That's what leadership does. As you move into leadership and servant leadership and all these things, you start examining yourself, and you make yourself uh, submissive to Christ to let him work and regenerate you and make him make you more like him, the sanctification process. But I feel like examining Austin Victoria's life over the last five years, this man's a campus director, but he's an overseer. He's a man who exhibits these qualities and who's, who loves the church and pastors it so well. He, he cares about your life. He cares about what's happening and he wants to be involved in it. He, he wants to exhibit godliness and he, he's a great teacher and great communicator and gets many people from A to Z. He, he, moves, he moves people's journey in Christ further along. And so I'm so thankful for this couple. And on June 23rd, Chris Pate will be here from Houston preaching and then he'll also help as we set them in as elders in our church. Would you stand a hand to them this morning? Would you stand up with me? I'm so sorry. You're too comfortable. (laughs) Let's extend a hand and let's pray over this couple. Father, we just thank you for Austin and Tori. And God, over the next few weeks as we fast and pray, Jesus, I just pray to God that you would just put a blessing and protection around them. Father God, I think that they are great overseers. God, they have loved your church well. They steward it well, and they consider it a joy, an honor, and they're reverent in the process of stewarding your body. God, you care about your church more than we do. So, Lord, I just pray that you would put your burden on these two for this city. And, God, I just pray this season would be a season of greatness. And then you bless them over the next several weeks. Give them pictures and visions and dreams that only you can give. Bless them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God a big hand for that?